CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. Welcome to W5. Imagine being addicted to something that we all need to survive, food. It's a controversial concept and isn't widely accepted in mainstream scientific circles, but the theory that some people might actually have a physical addiction to food is gaining ground. We follow one man's plight to save his own life from his uncontrollable urges. Forty-six-year-old Matthew Mahan struggles to walk one short lap of the parking lot, and he knows what you're probably thinking. They just see a fat, lazy slob. You know, lose weight. Earthquake, aisle three. It's sad how people can react. That's why I don't go out. Hide in there. In there is the tiny motel room in southwestern Ontario that Matthew calls both his home and his prison. The rare times he has left has been by ambulance. Matthew has been hospitalized a half dozen times in recent years. The last time I was in the hospital, all my organs were shutting down. My lungs, my heart, my kidneys, my liver, everything. We're saying, sayonara, Slim, we're out of here. We're done. You're working us overtime too much, buddy. And how many times is my body going to go through that? Your mom is scared you're going to die. I know, so am I. I told my mom I'm not going to make 50. I'm 46. She didn't like to hear it, but sometimes the truth's hard to hear. Another truth that's hard to hear, the staggeringly high number when Matthew's weight was measured. They weigh you and say 760 pounds. What are you thinking? <laughs> Did I want to die? Who wants to be that big? 760 pounds. A weight Matthew blames not on lack of willpower, but on an emotional and physical addiction to food. You describe yourself as a food addict. Some yeah. people might say to you, quit eating so much yeah, and you'll well, lose weight. It's same with an alcoholic. They say, well, just quit drinking. Not as easy. Same with a drug addict. Just quit, put down the drugs. Easier said than done. Matthew had always been larger than the average kid. But in his teens, his eating spiraled out of control. Was there one specific incident that made you realize this isn't healthy and it's an addiction? When I reached 200 pounds when I was back in high school and everybody would be pointing and laughing, that's when I started going on diets. I told myself at 250 I wouldn't reach four. It may sound like an excuse, but food addiction is increasingly being raised as a potential contributor to North America's obesity epidemic. 
in the U.S., 74% of Americans are considered overweight or obese. Here in Canada, the number is slightly lower, but still an alarming 63%. Could it be that some of those who are struggling to lose the weight they know could kill them are actually addicted to food? It's not yet accepted as a formal diagnosis, but there is a growing body of evidence that suggests it may be possible. This MRI is the brain of a person who is deemed to have a food addiction. The reward centers of the brain light up when they're eating high sugar, high fat, processed and fast foods, the very same as the scans of addicts on drugs. It's like a euphoria high. It's just like I shot up with a big hit of heroin. It feels like a, a high. A heroin high. Just like I would do if I were doing a hit of heroin. I'd sit back in my chair, do the hit, and then sit back and enjoy it. I do the same thing with food. Matthew knows what he's talking about when it comes to heroin. He was addicted for 14 years, and when he quit cold turkey, he transferred his addiction from drugs to food. Which is more difficult for you, the food or the heroin? <laughs> food, you, you got to eat food to live. I didn't have to have heroin to live. Like with any addiction, Matthew has his drug of choice. Any kind of cheesecake ice cream is the one thing that'll get me to run through a cement wall to get at. That's my addiction to food is desserts. Because you've had a heroin addiction, you know what it is like to need heroin. Yeah. Do you have that same? It's, it's not where I'm sitting there going through the withdrawals or shakes or the stomach aches. It's the type of an addiction where I'm killing myself slowly. With the stigma of his size and the sheer challenge of even putting one foot in front of the other, Matthew's life has become very small. Howdy. Howdy. How are you? Good. His mother, Debbie, is one of his few visitors. What have you seen Matthew do that shows you that this is an addiction the way that drug addiction or alcohol addiction is? Oh, it's a very real thing, food addiction, because he can get all worked up just by watching all the fast food commercials. He lives and breathes food. He talks about it all the time. Debbie does Matthew's groceries for him, all healthy food, she says. But Matthew uses well-meaning relatives and food delivery services to get his fix. I went one time to help him change his bed, the bedding in his bed, and I accidentally opened the closet in the bedroom and his top shelf was full of empty pizza boxes. And when Matthew runs out of money? I'll send 40 bucks and then he forgets what he's told me because if you make stuff up, you don't remember what's right and what you, you know, what you haven't said. So he sort of tricks you into sending him money yeah. to buy food? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same as a drug addict would to get drugs. Just like anyone who loves someone with a dangerous addiction, Debbie fears Matthew's compulsions will kill him. I'm afraid he's not going to be around if he doesn't get help soon. It's the same as a mother worries about a junkie going down the street, you know? Like, they're going to get that last dose and that'll be the last one, and he's going to go for a walk and then his heart's going to stop. His heart just can't keep pumping. Food is very good at engaging these reward systems. Dr. Ashley Gearhart is a world leader in the study of food addiction. 
Associate Professor of Psychology at the University of Michigan, she's been studying people just like Matthew and believes a surprisingly large percentage of people in North America are not only emotionally, but physically addicted to chemically altered, easily digested foods like fast food burgers and chips. You've actually developed a system to try to figure out and identify people who have a food addiction. How does it work? We really looked at the literature for how do we diagnose any other addiction. And so we wanted to apply those behavioral markers of addiction to the consumption of these highly rewarding processed foods. Things like a loss of control over consumption. You can't stop even though you really want to. You can't just stop even though you're having really significant negative health consequences. Um, even if you do stop, you have a tendency to relapse. Dr. Gearhart's research suggests food addiction is a larger problem than alcoholism. 90% of people drink alcohol at some point in their lifetime. 10% of those people actually develop an addictive response to that alcohol. And we're seeing the same thing is true with these foods, that we're seeing it's about 15% of people in the United States is our current estimate. You're saying that 15% of the people in, in North America actually have a food addiction? Our current estimates, when we look at the clinical diagnostic threshold for food addiction as we measure it, 15% of individuals are meeting that. Matthew believes he's in that 15%, and his drug is constantly accessible. If I have money, I'll order uh, a nice big burger and an appetizer from the Queens, and then I'll order one of those f flatbed pizzas and an ice cream from uh, Pizza Hut because you can order the Haagen-Dazs ice cream. They, from there, you can't get it anywhere else. Then there's all this food in the house, and what do you do when there's food in the house? You get excited and you eat it. Okay. You've seen Matt as somebody who's addicted to drugs and as somebody who's addicted to food. What scares you more? At this point, the food. I have him text me every day and say, morning, mom. So I know that he's there, like his heart could stop at any time. He has stage four heart disease. Coming up. Doesn't matter what stands in your way, you gotta have it. When hunger gives way to compulsion. It doesn't matter who you hurt, in your way, you're gonna get it. When W5 continues. Matthew Mahan's childhood photos don't paint an obvious picture of the man he has become. But looking back, Matthew remembers early signs that his relationship with food was unusual. I was sneaking food when I was four or five years old in my room. First thing out of my mouth when I got home from school was what's for dessert. When you were a kid and you were sneaking food and hiding food, what was it giving you, that food? It wasn't just because you were hungry. I don't know, I can't explain what drove me to do it. It was just something in my head. It was the same with the drugs. It was just, I had to have it. It's that mentality of addiction. Doesn't matter what stands in your way, you gotta have it. It doesn't matter who you hurt, in your way, you're gonna get it. I've struggled with addiction from eight years old. 
just like Matthew are being studied here at a groundbreaking lab at the University of Michigan. It's designed to mimic a fast food restaurant, complete with similar sights and smells. It's a one-of-a-kind lab that I designed to really look like a classic fast food restaurant. And actually, if you were sitting here with me, you could smell the French fry smell. It's here where Dr. Ashley Gearhart, a leading expert on the burgeoning science of food addiction, carries out studies to determine why some people seem to have a compulsion to eat certain foods. When I came in and smelled the fries, my yeah. stomach started growling. Yes, On this day, one of the research participants, Jennifer Conkright, is tested using the Yale Food Addiction Scale. It was developed by Dr. Gearhart and is a series of questions meant to gauge just how someone reacts to different food scenarios. The cravings, that's not a fleeting thought, but it's something that feels really central and always front of mind for you. Yes. Is that something that you experience? It's all, I'm thinking about food right now. Yeah. I, it's always in my head. If I don't get it, it's gonna be there until I get it. I mean, it yeah. could be weeks, Yeah. but it's gonna be there. Dr. Gearhart's studies have pinpointed certain foods that can trigger addictive eating in certain people, causing intense cravings and an inability to stop despite potentially serious health consequences. And these are the foods. Pizza, chips, chocolate, ice cream, french fries, and cheeseburgers. Now the one thing that all these foods have in common is they've been stripped of nutrients and are highly processed. A lot like another very addictive substance, cigarettes. With food, there isn't one specific component that you can say this is the thing that's making you addicted the way you can with nicotine and, and, and smoking. Yeah, you're right. And I actually don't see that as being that different than what we know about cigarettes. We all eat nicotine actually in our foods probably every year. Nicotine is in foods like potatoes and eggplants. But it's not until you take the nicotine and you strip it out and add you know, thousands of other chemicals to refine it and make it hyper rewarding. And so it's really these complex delivery packages of nicotine that people get addicted to. That's what I'm seeing when it comes to these foods. It's these complex foods that are often industrially created to be really potent delivery mechanisms of highly rewarding ingredients like sugars and fats. So it's the combination of, of the stripped down processed food component mixed in with all kinds of chemicals that's creating this perfect storm for someone who might have a susceptibility to addiction. That's absolutely right. Jennifer, welcome to our restaurant. Please come on in. Dr. Gearhart observes study participants yeah. like Jennifer Hello. in the lab, looking for how they react to the food being presented. Everything's heightened. Like the walls seem lighter and everything just seems so vivid. Yes. Like really like everything just seems very awesome right now. Yes, and it's one of the things that we also see is that the reward systems in the brain and the hunger systems of the brain, they're so intertwined. Jennifer knows all too well that these foods can harm her and tells us about the exhausting calculations she makes to deal with her addiction. How do you react to a hamburger and fries differently to someone who doesn't have an addiction? First thing I do is I have like a weird anxiety with it because I know everything that's in there. I already know all the nutrition values. I know how bad it really is. So I try, in my mind, I've already tried to like work things out with myself. Like it's okay to have the burger, but not the fries. So before anybody's just sitting down to like just eat, I've already had this in my brain, like the different ways I could eat this. 
And just like Matthew, Jennifer goes to great lengths to hide her addiction. It's a shame to yourself. Like, it's almost like I'm hiding from myself. I will tend to put food on my personal credit cards so that no, my husband can't see it. And sometimes if I'm gonna eat um, something from fast food, I'll eat alone in my car so people can't see me. I don't want anybody to see. Dr. Gearhart's research with Jennifer and others like her is breaking new ground. But not everyone in the scientific community agrees that food addiction is a diagnosable illness. Hey guys. Hey. Dr. Kevin Hall is a senior investigator at the National Institutes of Health in Maryland. His lab studies how metabolism and the brain adapt to changes to diet and physical activity. His experiments aim to better understand the mechanisms that regulate body composition. I think the concept is certainly very interesting to many of us in the field but uh, the degree to which it explains, for example, obesity has been uh, much debated. When you're looking at the obesity epidemic that exists in North America, what are the causes that you see? And, and how does food addiction fit into that? I think that even folks who uh, would uh, think that food addiction is definitely a real phenomenon that affects individual people. It's probably not responsible for the dramatic increase in obesity prevalence that we've seen over the past several decades. Still, he doesn't rule out the possibility that what people like Matthew and Jennifer experience is very real to them. When Matthew talks about food and eating food, he goes into this almost rapture. Yeah, and I don't doubt that that's exactly how he feels, and that he makes that connection, and there very well may be an addiction component uh, in that individual case. I guess the question is, you know, what aspect about foods are giving rise to those kinds of changes in his brain, for example, and how generalizable is that to explain the situation that we all find ourselves in? The question of our food environment, the endless availability of low-cost, high-calorie food, is one thing the researchers agree has changed the way we interact with food, addiction or not. It's not by accident and can be traced to the tobacco industry. The controversy really reminds me of the controversy around tobacco products. You wouldn't get intoxicated. People weren't overdosing on cigarettes. And when people found they were having health issues and wanted to quit, they found that they couldn't, even though they really, really wanted to. So when I look at these, you know, ultra-processed foods that are engineered and designed to be highly rewarding and to hook you, they are very powerful. They're very rewarding. They increase pleasure. And they're contributing to around a half a million, you know, preventable cases of death every year. We know that the tobacco industry denied that there was any addictive components to smoking for a long time. Are you saying that the fast food industry, that, that this concept of food addiction is in the early stages of where tobacco was back in the day? I would say that that is probably where we're heading. We know that the tobacco industry targeted children and adolescents a lot for their products. That's even more concerning in the context of ultra-processed junk foods, which play a key role or a major source of calories for most children in the modern food environment. Dr. Gearhart has found that like with drugs of abuse, people can develop a tolerance to these ultra-processed foods, meaning they need more and more to get their fix. These foods, they're also engineered in a way that 
makes it less likely that they trigger our satiety signals. We don't actually get the sense that we're full, so we keep eating. Exactly, we're getting these fast reward responses that tell us to keep putting it, keep eating more. Oh, I want it, I want it, it smells good, I'm craving it. But that signal that's saying you're full, you've had enough, these foods don't do as good of a job of triggering that. And so it really sets people up to overeat. Jennifer is now getting help through counseling and a nutritionalist, but she knows all too well the struggle of living in a food environment where her drug of choice is everywhere. When Dr. Gerhardt looked at you and said, you have a food addiction, what was your first reaction? I wasn't in shock. I think I knew it the whole time. I think I've known it for a, quite a while, because I can't stop. Back in the Ontario beach town of Southampton, Matthew Mahan does not have access to studies and supports. There's some for people who are bulimic, for people who are anorexic, gambling, sex, drugs, alcohol. I have yet to find something out there for food addiction. Still, he's doing what he can while he searches for help. Getting up from a chair and going to my bathroom back and forth all day isn't gonna do for me. I at least got to make a pass around or two around this parking lot or I, I, I got to sweat once or twice a day or it's not going to do nothing for me. But in this heat, it is dangerous for me. I mean, I guess even just physically to carry that much weight. Exactly. The, just think, pick up a set of barbells worth 400 pounds and walk down to that street. But you won't be able to walk back up. Matthew has recently moved out of the motel he called home. After three years on an affordable housing wait list, he's just landed a new wheelchair-accessible apartment. He still, though, has not been able to access any support for his eating addiction. You've been listening to CTV's W5 with Avery Haynes. 